fish on. Hey, Radcast is on. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. From the Porter's 10Cast Studio, here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. Today we have Patrick Edwards and hey. David Merrill in the studio. Hey, say hello, Patrick. <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm pretty excited to uh, welcome, we have uh, Candy Yao. Uh, are you there, Candy? I am here. So we'll just get right into it. What? Why, why are you on our podcast today, Candy? Well, because um, I'm a true advocate of hunting and getting ladies and youth involved in the hunting industry. Um, and we have what we call a ladies hunting camp that's grown really, really, really fast and all over the nation. And so I think that's the main reason I'm here. <laughs> so tell me just a little bit about your background and how you got involved in all of this. Sure. So I grew up on ranches, um, and I think this is one of the reasons that women in the outdoors is growing so fast. Um, I lived on large ranches, and I hunted my entire life, but when I met Randy, who, you know, is a very strong hunter and known as one, he asked me if I was a hunter, and I was kind of stuttered and stammered, and yeah, I don't know, I'm more of a rancher, but I've hunted. Um, and I didn't think of myself as a hunter. I think that that tagline was more saved for the men. Um and then, you know, as we got to go in more, he realized that I had truly hunted my whole life and that I guess I would tag myself as a hunter. Um, and I think that's what women are seeing. And I think another misconception comes in the, you know, in the industry with gear. Um, I remember even not that far back as when I met Randy that you either did shrink it and pink it or you wore the hand-me-downs. And I was perfectly fine with that. But uh, now as you get into gear such as Weatherby and a lot of the clothing manufacturers, they actually are making that to fit a woman. Um, so, you you know, you're not struggling with a man-sized rifle and, and the scope fits too far forward and, you know, the grip on a knife that you can't get your hand around, et cetera, et cetera. So I, th I think that's why women is growing so much in the industry. I don't think it's that the women weren't involved in earlier years. I just don't think we thought of ourselves as hunters. So where did you grow up ranching? Uh, just north of Elko, Nevada. We uh, had one uh, at that point. We were living on that ranch. My grandpa was the manager, and it was the third largest ranch in the U.S. Um, wow. And then we moved to the little town of Antelope, which is very well known for the Rajneesh movement, but we obviously were not a part of that. We just had a nice ranch there. That's awesome. And now you're in Oregon, is that right? That's correct, yes. Awesome. Yeah. Oregon's got a lot of great opportunities. I know David being from there, he can talk a little bit about that. I mean, he, he really enjoys that area as well. I'm going to, I'm going to caveat. I probably love Oregon of all the 50 States and I've lived in a few now, right? More than most. I mm -hmm. mean, you can go, it just, just put your finger on the map in a two hour drive. You can be in the high desert. You can be on the Columbia. You can be on the coast. You can be in the Cascades. You can be in the coastal mountain ranges. You know, you can go from chucker hunting to sturgeon fishing to steelhead fishing to elk hunting in, in a half a day drive anywhere. Now I will, exactly. I will throw ODF and W under the bus. I don't think they're doing nearly as good a job at wildlife management as some of these other Western states are. That's my opinion. I couldn't agree with you more. It's pretty sad. Our deer herds are completely decimated. 
I mean, I grew up not very far away from Mr. Cam Haynes chasing blacktails, probably about 40 miles north, right? And he was he was instrumental in when I worked for uh, Steen's Wilderness Adventures as an outfitter and, you know, guide and packer there with them. I was also a couple drainages away packing hunters in when Cam Haynes was also, you know, going in some of that same country in the Eagle Cap Mountains. So I had a, a true love of that state, and I really still do. I would have never moved, Candy, if I could go harvest a four-point blacktail with my bow every fall. Right, yeah. But you look at the no. cat population, and well, I mean, I want to get back in the ladies' hunting camp a little bit and get off my soapbox. <laughs> but well, that's all right. We could go on forever on that one, too. <laughs> I mean, the, the cougar population has been stated, and, you know, Portland controls the whole state via the vote, but they're slated to have something like 4,000 cats, mountain lions, statewide. Well, the last count was, what, 95, 9,900 cats? Wow. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. It's way, way off, and we know it's probably even higher than that that's only what you're seeing and if you see a cougar there's too many yeah if you go back a few episodes we had dan thompson on he's got his phd in biology and he specializes in mountain lions and he was telling us just how lethal they are on deer it doesn't take doesn't take a lot of cats to put a dent in the population that's for sure exactly so you grew up ranching big cattle ranches Mm -hmm. right i imagine you're horseback helping dad and grandpa Yep, horseback probably just about every day of my life until just a few years ago. And then come fall time, were you were you hunting elk and deer off horseback? Um, growing up, it was just deer and antelope and tons of predators because obviously we had to protect the ranch because um, where we grew up was very deserty, so we didn't have elk until uh, oh I don't know I started hunting elk probably twenty years ago. But as you know, as a youth and early adult life, it was just mule deer. So what would be your favorite species to hunt and why? Wow. <laughs> I'm going to have to say archery elk. And it's not that I'm the greatest archery hunter because I'm not. Um, I didn't learn to hunt with a bow until, you know, just probably six years ago. But I've been very successful with it. And I think it's more about the hunt. I think because I understand wildlife and I understand hunting, that I can make stuff work when I get out there, whether I'm the best archer in the world or not, or even if I'm not the best with a rifle. It's just understanding understanding the animals and how they think and how they react and just being in the middle of them my whole life. So your, your story is a little more traditional, you know, unlike Jess Johnson's where you started just like myself or a lot of other hunters, man or woman, you know, grandpa, dad handed you the 22, you went out, you were part of the family group adventure. And then in the fall, it was the fall hunt. And, oh, well, now you're big enough to get your own tag and your own deer. And we want to fill the freezer. It sounds like that was kind of the progression in the story. And then it's in comes this archery thing and you take off and you're, you're now going full speed. But Jess Johnson was, she just, you know, late twenties, right into archery hunting, right into elk hunting, right into backpacking. Right. So as That's a woman in the field, you know, you, you've talked about, and we've talked a little bit about, you know, how my wife has gone on some moose hunts and some elk hunts and the gear, like we said, I mean, even, even 10 years ago, my wife was still wearing some of my hand-me-down camo bibs and, you know, we got her women boots, but talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, and I, that's what I remember. I remember getting the hand-me-down um, wool pants as a child. That's what was warm in the winter and out hunting um, that didn't fit. And you put on a belt and you cinched it around as tight as you could and you just wallow through it. And, you know, the red and black checkered 
wool coats and and whatever hat they could throw on you. There was no such thing as camel, at least that I knew growing growing up. Um, obviously, in the last 20 years, that's changed. But I still never really wore it until I started hunting with Randy. I'd just wear my blue jeans and my boots and sweatshirt and go. So um, now you see there's at least five companies out there, very well-known companies that um, manufacture ladies camel or hunting clothing. Some of it's not even camel anymore. They've gone a lot with the solids, which are kind of cool too. Um, and I think it's not even the camel so much as the breakup of pattern. But what's exciting for me is they fit. They're tough. They're comfortable. Um, I have the same comfort and yet the quality of equipment as Randy does when I'm in the field. And that's what's super exciting to me. I th- I'm excited that, you know, this, this boys club of men hunters is kind of you know, I, I read a statistic, and I'm going to quote it another hundred times here on the podcast, but if the father in the family hunts, it's something like 20% of the children go on to hunt into adulthood. But if the father and mother hunt, it's something like 80% of the children go on to hunt into adulthood. It's staggering. Exactly. And even those that don't normally still have the respect of the animal, the respect of feeding your family, and they still learned all the concepts while they were out there with mom and dad about, you know, creation, about wildlife, about our public lands, about respect for the animals, things that are so important that make you a better person throughout life. Yeah, I would have a question on that as well, because one of the big things that my family and I are into is growing our own meat. So like we raise pigs and, you know, obviously I go hunting and fishing as well, just to provide meat for the family. And it seems to be a little bit of a growing trend of people wanting to know where their protein is coming from and understanding the animals better. Um, so have you seen kind of a similar thing in, in the hunting world? Absolutely. In fact, our second ladies hunting camp would have been five or six years ago. There was a lady came that was an anti-hunter, anti-Second Amendment, anti-everything. Um, she had two small children. She was a single mom. And she was doing everything she could to provide a organic lifestyle. But her son had needed meat that wasn't high in fat. And yet, he, you know, he had some sort of a lack of protein in his diet. And so someone told her she should start actually eating wildlife. And she researched it. And then she researched online and found the ladies hunting camp. And she came. And it didn't take but probably about two hours before she was shooting the guns and she's gone on and is a very avid hunter now and not that she's out you know her worry as is a lot of women is that they're killing animals and they love animals well nobody loves animals more than I do believe me Mm -hmm. but I have a respect for them and God tells us to go out and to harvest the animal and to feed your family which is a huge reward and that's what this lady did and you just wouldn't believe the difference in her life now Um, and I'm not saying she's a strong Second Amendment defender, or she's out there protesting. Um, she's just gently working in the background. She sent two other ladies to our camps too, that are also searching for organic, healthy food options besides what you buy in the store. Well, that's one thing as hunters that we've we've traditionally done very poorly at is share our love and our passion and just the the holistic nature of this sport. Right? It's not even a hobby. It's it's a it's a lifestyle. And I really have when I first saw you guys putting these ladies camps on, you know, I was like, there's an idea and there's a, there's a trend that our society needs to move forward. And I'm glad to see that. I mean, you guys have grown tremendously. Just give us a breakdown of what kind of a traditional 
week looks like the cost how how somebody could get into a camp just just give us the whole spiel absolutely so what we do is we have probably 20 classes available it's two and a half days long um costs 450 dollars, and that does include your meals but it does not include lodging which here in oregon it's a tent or an rv so it's a dry camp um they will come in thursday evening usually we'll have like elk chili or something for those that come in super late so we don't have a huge meal um the next morning we start with a safety meeting which is mandatory uh, to be able to shoot any of the firearms you have to take the safety meeting and then they disperse and we have eight to ten ladies per class and they just they'll take two classes in the morning then we'll usually have a demo on friday it's usually um, we bring in a cow elk from one of the local ranches and the ladies get Finchmade is one of our sponsors. They get a knife and they get in there and they skin it. They quick quarter it. We put a quarter in a pack so they have a reality of what that really is like before they go out and try to harvest something on their own and not be able to get it out of the backcountry. <laughs> We've had that happen, so we want to make sure they really understand that. Um, they go to two more classes and then usually we'll have like an elk calling demo or a stop the bleed or some sort of thing have a nice barbecue that night, get up the next day and pretty much repeat. You go pretty hard. Saturday evening, we'll have a big uh, Traeger barbecue and we will then cook the back straps and the tenderloins along with other meat, but off of the elk itself. So they get the true value of the field to table concept. And then we have what we call an outdoor apparel and concealed carry fashion show, which is an absolute bring the house down. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like fun. We probably have, I don't know, seven different clothing lines represented and uh, 10 or more concealed carry. And the girls get pretty silly and we let everybody touch and feel or try on or whatever. And, uh, and then, and, and explain what each product does and how it does it for the ladies. And that's pretty fun. And then Sunday morning we get up um, every morning there's a hike. So you get a little fresh air and exercise. We take a hike to the top of the hill and then Sunday morning, it is certainly not required, but we do have a church service and non-denominational. We take one class, and then they come in, and we do all the photos for all the sponsors. We have a ton of amazing sponsors, and then we do gift giveaways, and these ladies walk away with, you wouldn't believe it, Traegers, rifles, shotguns, bows, knives, <laughs> onyx maps, you name it. Uh, they're, they, they're pretty spoiled. And then they say their goodbyes, and it's what's so amazing about this um, and what's changing this year is they love it so much, and they're having so much fun that they want to come back every year. And to create enough classes to keep them thirsty is becoming harder without taking away from our beginners that are coming in for their first time. So now we've started. We have three advanced camps this year for those ladies who just need to go to the next level. Man, that sounds amazing. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I do want to get a reaction from you or just get some stories. I'm sure I've, I've heard this told before when people have never hunted and they kill their first animal, there's that little moment of, oh, I just killed something. But then when they get it down, they start working on it, things change, and then they get it to camp and they, they get to eat it. It just totally changes everything. Um, what has been your experience when watching people go through those emotions and, and kind of that also aha moment when they actually get to eat what they've killed? I think, you know, we've given that there again, and I'm not saying we've given it to men, 
Um, but I think a lot of women don't think that one, they're able to kill and two, that they would feel the pride of providing for their family, but that's absolutely not true. Um, it's, it's so emotional. It's, it's more emotional. I know Randy even sometimes has trouble with death and most men do because they respect the animals so much. But as women, I tell them over and over again, there's nothing wrong with crying. I still cry. We work all year long, you know, and it's so hard getting up and down those mountains and keeping up with someone like Randy and the stress of getting the tags that you want and the stress of, you know, being successful or not successful. And then you make a good shot and the animal's down. And it sometimes it's tears of joy. Sometimes it's tears of thank you, God, for this amazing animal. Thank you. We're about out of meat in the freezer to just having a hard time watching an animal die. And, and as women, we're a little more vulnerable, and frequently that is a little more emotional, but that's okay. That's okay. And it doesn't matter if it's the first time or the tenth time. Um, I have a real quick story I can share of my sister. Uh, she lost her son nine years ago in Afghanistan, has tried to be on numerous hunts since then, and just couldn't do it. She couldn't pull the trigger. She just couldn't do it. She had Her heart wasn't in it. And she luckily, with hardly any points at all this year drew an Arizona bighorn sheep hunt and she knew it was from God and she knew that I was going to be there and help her and she knew that this had to happen and um she did she did and the first day there again let's go back to product the first day she was shooting her husband's rifle with a scope that didn't fit and she shot at this amazing like world-class ram seven times and this game seven times and so that night we went back and we put my little sweet Camilla with a little pulled scope to fit her. And she went out the next morning and double shot the same hole on paper plate, went out. I don't know how. It was a, you know, it was, God definitely gave us that ram, but we found him again after we'd ran him out of the country. She took one shot and she put him down. Wow. But we had to, we had to approach that ram and make sure that he was 100% dead before she could go. She was a rat, but she was exuberant. She cried a whole lot. And she is now a hunter. Every time she calls, she says, guess what? I'm a sheep hunter. (laughs) (laughs) It changed her life. It just totally changed her life. And there's nothing wrong with crying. I mean, it's it's an experience when you take the life of one, you know, to feed another or whatever it might be. It's it's a very, very different experience. But it's, it's good to see more people getting out there and having that experience. I'll never forget the first time I killed one and everyone since then. It just it grabs your heart because you realize that, I mean, you're taking a life and you don't ever want to get callous and feel like it's no big deal. And at the same right. time, the joy of, yeah, the Lord helped you put meat in the freezer. That's a great thing. Exactly. So, I mean... And caveat it with people say I'm a snowboarder, right? Or people say I'm a golfer and I'm not picking on those sports. I've done both sports. They're great. But at the end of a day of snowboarding, when I come home, I don't put something in the freezer that I know I've procured and taken care of and is going to be life sustaining, right? Exactly. After a day of golf, even if I've had the greatest game in the world, it's gone. It's, you know, and Steven Ranella likes to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but he, he says, you know, the, the levels of fun, right? And the cheapest level of fun is the, the roller coaster where, yeah, you're having fun while you do it, but tomorrow nobody remembers, oh, man, that roller coaster is awesome. we got to go back. You know, I went on a doll sheep hunt in 2013 with my brother. We slept in a cave on day six. Uh, we killed two rams on day nine. 
and we ran out of food. We hiked. We slept in a cave in Alaska while it was snowing, you know, with no gear. And <laughs> it, it was miserable, Candy. I, I'm going to tell you right now, it was absolutely miserable. <laughs> and I am chomping at the bit to go back and do that misery again. Exactly. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just when you think you can't go on, and then, like you said, you harvest something and your memories come flooding back, and, and you can't thank God enough, and then pretty soon you're begging for Him to, you know, put you through that again. <laughs> And it's, you know, you touched on something there of, of, you know, the respect for life. I mean, I have horses and I have dogs and I have a, a profound affinity for pheasants and turkeys and ducks and elk. And she, I mean, they're even, even those big nasty predators, everybody, we, we complained a little bit about earlier in the podcast. I, it's mountain lions are a cool, cool creature. Oh, they're super cool. They just have to be. You know, maintained. You have to be managed. The, there's <laughs> exactly. nothing that will make the hair stand up on the back of your neck like a wolf howling, a lonesome wolf howling across the meadow when you're in the wilderness. It just, until you experience that, you know, you can't say that you love animals more than I do when I'm out there with every free moment of my time enjoying time with the animals, and then I'm putting my money where my mouth is as far as the conservation piece. And that's where I think this ladies' hunting camp is you know, it's touching on something of letting all these women know that, hey, you don't have to, because as a man, I've seen it more than once of, you know, the bravado and the ego kind of pushes the woman aside and she doesn't feel comfortable in expressing her opinions or views or just questions of, hey, how do I go to the bathroom while we're out on this hunt? Or exactly. this gun doesn't fit me. And, you know, you just, ex- you just highlighted, here's, here's grandpa's old gun that doesn't fit, doesn't work and creates a problem where you don't get to harvest where we can get this new gear that's suited for women and get women's opinions. So that's, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're, uh, you're promoting the sport. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So how do people get involved in these hunts? I mean, what, what, where do they go to find information on these? So ladies hunting camp is pretty easy. It's just ladieshunting.com, and it has all of the, the three different camps that are available this year up there and you just click register and it's super, super easy. Um, once that starts, you know, then I'll start sending emails back and forth for any questions. Uh, we're really good about working around ladies' diets. Uh, if they're flying in, providing tents and cots for them, if we have enough. Um, and all the other many thousands of questions that they may have. But the registration itself is super easy. Now, as far as the advanced camps, we are asking that they are at least an intermediate in whatever those would be. We have a pistol self-defense one, we have an archery, and then we have a advanced rifle and long range camp. So if they're intermediate level, we encourage them to sign up. If they're not, that could be a little difficult. Um, you know, we don't want to hold everybody back if we have a complete total beginner. Now you're capping the, uh, the level of, of members for this, right? That's correct. That's for the advanced camp. For the regular camp in Oregon, we don't care if you've ever picked up a firearm. We don't care if you've ever hiked. We don't, you know, we're here to help you get the joy and learn the skills that you want to empower and motivate you to get out and see God's country. That's awesome. How, so you said the three camps, so where are they located? Do you have one in Oregon? Yep. The one in Oregon is, is July 16th through the 19th, and that's any level. We'll allow 75 ladies to register for that. Um, and then we have, I'll put my glasses on so I don't get the dates right, wrong. 
We have an advanced pistol and self-defense, which is a really cool one. So they're going to start with advancing their pistol skills. They're going to move into self-defense. And then we're going to do, um, let's see if I can, it's called integrated defense strategies, which is going to be the final day where we use a dummy gun and they actually learn self-defense with a pistol, which I think is getting more and more needed for uh, men and women, but particularly women. And at the same time, we're going to have an advanced archery, and that's going to be at the R&K hunting retreat, and that is May 15th through the 17th. And then June 26th through the 28th, we're going to have an advanced rifle long-range shooting, advanced scouting and tracking in the Bighorn Mountains out of Sheridan, Wyoming, and a tour of the Weather Beef facility as well as a prairie dog hunt. Well, that's right that here in our backyard. Super cool. That yeah. one sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be super cool. We have not opened that yet, but we're going to open it while we're in Utah this week. Perfect. So, That's great. Yeah. So going to those pistol self-defense classes, I did the NRA version of those, uh, I guess it was two years ago. And it was one of those things, I've been around firearms my whole life, but I didn't understand pistols really. I knew revolvers. And it's really cool to take classes like that because you learn so much. And even me thinking, eh, I know a little bit. And then I got into the class. I'm like, yeah, I don't know anything. Um, it was just a great experience. And I would encourage anybody out there, you know, to find classes like that because those, those are really, really helpful. They are. Even just the movement, uh, you know, just little things that you can do um, is amazing. So, and yeah. like I said, I think, and the other problem that we have is a lot of women feel like they need a pistol and they shoot at the range once or twice and they go get their concealed carry and they shove the pistol in their purse and they never use it again. That's actually more of a detriment than it is a help. They need to get out there and really learn to shoot and be, you know, be able to pull it out of the holster accurately, be able to chamber around and, you know, be able to do all these things without even thinking twice. Otherwise, it's going to take too long and it's too late. Well, and it can be really dangerous. When I, I was working uh, for a large corporation down in Cheyenne a few years a few years back before I moved up here, and um, my wife called me frantically at work and thought that there had been a shooting at my facility. Well, it was actually I worked in the distribution facility, and the person who got shot was at the store. And what had happened, this gal had um, a revolver just stuffed into her purse she didn't have it in any kind of a, a sleeve or case or anything and so she was digging around in her purse and shot the cashier in the arm and uh it's like you know those kind of things are just a good reason for everyone to need to take a class and just be familiar with their guns so that they don't have things like that happen i mean we don't want to get Absolutely. anybody shot Accidents are accidents, but with firearms, and that's my biggest thing on the Second Amendment fighting for our rights, is you're only afraid of what you don't understand. And so if they're trying to take our guns away because they're afraid of them, maybe they need to learn. When we were growing up, everybody shot firearms. Yep. When we went to high school, we had them in the, in the rifle racks in the back of our pickups that were unlocked at the high school. Nobody shot anybody because we knew better, because we were educated on them. And I think... You know, our goal, the other project that I'm highly involved with is the D.C. project, which is one lady from every state that goes to Washington, D.C. to fight for our Second Amendment rights. And that is our main thing, is education over legislation. Yep, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we have just a lot of people that have no clue out there, and that's yes. that's the big problem. 
And to get a little technical, I mean, I, I pack a full-size Smith & Wesson in 45, right? And it, it fits me good, and I, I've got some nice concealed carry holsters for it, and I, I enjoy that pistol. But I hand that to my wife, and she cannot, I mean, she can't reload it. She can't work the slide. She can't reach, you know, the safeties. And she just, so we went down to the store, and we, you know, looked at all the options. And we got her uh, Charter Arms Pink Lady in 357, right? It's a little five round revolver, hammerless, mm-hmm. enclosed, you know, and she can, we've gone to the range several times and I can't shoot that gun. I mean, it's so small. Right. I can't get all my fingers on that grip, but it's just right for her hand. And, you know, she's, like I said, she can barely shoot my, my full size 45, but you hand her that little 357 pink lady. And I mean, she's punching holes with it. She's better shot with that gun than I am with mine, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Fit. Fit no, that's that's just it. It's not shrink it and pink it anymore. It's got to fit us because we've got to be able to use them as accurately as a man. Well, hers is pink, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. But that's it okay. is. Some it, women love pink. I just don't. Yeah, it's really important to have the right fit. I bought my wife her first pistol because she was going to go take a pistol class, and so I was like, "Well, what's a good you know pistol out there?" And I go and I find one, and I got her. Uh, it was a Smith and Wesson nine millimeter and she went to the class and she couldn't, she couldn't rack the slide. It was just, it was way yep. too tight. It, exactly. I mean, it wasn't broke in for one, but way too tight, all that. So we ended up with a little Ruger that works perfectly now, but yeah, the mm-hmm. fit is so important. And then there's something out there that people talk about is, well, aren't you scared that your, your spouse has a gun at home with your kids and this and that? And, you know, and then there's a statistic of, you know, you're 4,000% more likely to drown in a swimming pool if you have a swimming pool in your backyard. Well, of okay. course, but that's still, we need to look at nationwide statistics of three drownings a year in swimming pools. Well, how many, you know, if we transition that back to the Second Amendment and firearms, yeah, yes, there is this woman that got shot, in, and, and accidents happen all the time. And even, you know, I, I was cleaning a twenty two Ruger ten twenty two in the house one day. I didn't know it had one in the chamber, and I shot a hole through the roof. And I'm saying that yeah. live on it. It happens, right? Yeah. But I had muzzle control, you know, and it scared the, scared the living daylights out of me, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, but just because you have a firearm in the house, yeah, you're 4,000 times more likely to die by firearm, but how many deaths is that annually a year? And then how many lives are saved by firearms in a home by people who are trained? And that's what you've got to look at is, you know, the, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives that are saved a year versus, yeah, it's unfortunate when accidents happen, but we have how many alcohol related vehicular manslaughter accidents that happen every day. Does that mean you're going to go sell your car tomorrow? And that's not going to stop it. Right. Right. Actually, the highest percentage of deaths is accidents in the hospital. So are you just going to quit going to a doctor? Right. Uh, I think so, yes, actually, Candy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Dave and I are trying to figure out how to do everything on our own now. (laughs) Well, we we, we won't get into it, but our our hospital here locally needs some some CPR. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I think with guns, one of the biggest problems that people have is that it's just ignorance on the issue. And, I mean, it... I grew up around them just like you can. I mean, we, my dad was teaching me about firearm safety and about hunting ever since I was a little kid and I would go to 4-H camp and I would shoot. So, I mean, I mean, you, you learn really early how to do these things. And now we have a lot of adults that have never been exposed to a firearm. And so I think what you're doing is really important because we need to get more folks 
out there handling these so they actually understand what they do, how they work, how to be safe with them. Because I guarantee you a gun is not going to kill somebody if the people that have it and are handling it are doing it properly. It's, right. it's just not going to happen. So in getting rid of that stigma of it's the gun's fault, no, it's it's the person operating the the equipment that's the problem. And that's how things happen is, is when people do things they shouldn't be doing with them. Yes. I agree. So um, I'm more scared in the field candy. You know, I being when I was back in the packing days, I, I had a rifle in the scabbard on the horse and I don't really remember ever needing it. Now, part of the reason it was there is if we had a bad enough horse wreck, I was going to have to put a horse down. That's just, you, yeah, sad, but true. Yeah. Sad, but true. But this, this is life. This is reality. But when I, there was a lot of times candy, I'd drop a camp off and I would go a mile down the trail because it was too long a ride and I'd throw my my you know my bedroll on the ground tie the horses up I'd sleep and get up and ride and there's a lot of times I rode all the way in the dark and the way out but I'm more scared of even now where I I don't do that anymore but I take horses in the wilderness I'm more scared of getting kicked or cutting myself with a broadhead or a knife than I ever am of my pistol that I carry for protection oh exactly yeah yeah and I think one of the other things that um, we see at camp a lot is, um, especially someone like me, now if you're hunting with a group, maybe not quite so much, but I've had two or three run-ins with men when I'm way, way away from Randy. And, you know, they're not listening to, you know, stay back. I've never had to draw on them, but um, they've scoped me for hours at a time and followed me, and it, it's, uh, I'm way more afraid of them than I am even the mountain lion, the wolf, or the grizzly. Um, because I know what they've got in their hands. They can reach out a lot further. Yep. So uh, I always can still carry no matter what kind of hunting I'm doing as well, just for that, just for that reason right there. I would have never thought of that, Candy, in a million years. We have a lot of women say that to us. They come and they say, I'm really uncomfortable hunting by myself. And I said, then don't hunt by yourself. Yep. If you're not comfortable defending yourself, don't hunt by yourself. Well, it's kind of like... Because it will happen. Yeah, it's kind of like with anything. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of this and yes, I violate my own rules occasionally, but I don't like going out by myself, even if it's fishing on like a night fishing trip, you know, down on a river that we have here, you know, I could break a leg, you know, hopping between rocks or whatever it might be. It's really important to go in groups and with the situation you're talking about, it's probably good to have three or four people together. I mean, it's always good to have strength in numbers because unfortunately, Twisted ankles happen. Um, they do. Just silly, silly things. You could cut yourself really bad. I mean, there's there's always something, the potential for that. So it's good to have a group of people and people who know how to help you if you're hurt. Exactly. And even if you do separate, and I know there's different laws on it in different states and in different whatever, but uh, we always carry radios. We double check the batteries every morning and we check in every hour on the hour. At least, you know, at that point, you're only an hour away from whoever if they do need help. So um, common sense can take care of a lot of those fears. So, you know, we, we did touch on one thing I want to go back on just a little bit. And it's, you know, whether you're a man, woman out there listening, you know, if you have some of these fears or concerns, you know, you can certainly reach out to Candy, you can reach out to Patrick, you can reach out to me and ask, but, you know, ask your local, you know, guru, hey, I'm, I'm a little concerned about going hunting here, or I'm a, I want to get into this fishing, I don't quite know. Just the, the first step is ask, because everybody I know in this sport and I've met is more than willing to share 
basic level knowledge of to, to new people. Now, I'm not going to give you the GPS coordinates of spots I've worked years on finding, <laughs> but I'm going to point you in the right direction. I mean, I think you can attest to that, Candy. Absolutely. Uh, I would say 99% of the people in the hunting industry are more than willing to help. I mean, they would they would help at the drop of a hat. There again, if you spent your lifetime on this secret area, you're not going to give that, but you'll send them in a good location and you'll give them advice how to get there and how to hunt it and what to look for. Um, and I think that is the main thing of the ladies hunting camp is I think women just didn't know where to go to get help. There were a lot of avenues for men, but not so much for women. And as we all know, you can't learn from a spouse. It just doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) I I tried and I, I I gotta tell you the story. So we're, we, we moved to Alaska and my wife had started getting into archery hunting with me. She'd always uh, firearm gun rifle hunted with her her father but we got her a bow and she was starting to shoot and we'd gone uh actually we we're living in oregon we come over here to wyoming for our first antelope hunt she killed a really nice 75 inch goat with her bow right wow. we're in alaska and we're uh shooting a saturday league indoors and i'd give her a pointer here or there and you know on it, it, it fell on deaf ears, but one of the older gentlemen would come over and talk to my cute blonde wife and say, hey, honey, you're holding your bow wrong. Try it this way. And she would just eat it hook, line, and sinker oh, and lap it up. I'm like, that's the same thing I've been telling you for three weeks. And I'd get so mad. So weird. I mean, not I'd just get upset. I'm like, well, I told you the same thing, and you didn't listen to me. <laughs> and when she did it, it worked, lo and behold. So maybe I did know Absolutely. what I was talking about. But yes, I, I know that feeling all too well. It's the messenger, right? It has to be the right messenger. <laughs> yes, yes. Yep. But that, that also works the other way because, you know, my wife can remind me to do something a thousand times. And then when somebody else comes, hey, you should do it this way. It's easier. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, good <laughs> she, idea. Wants to, she wants to, to strangle me. So Exactly. <laughs> so I got to ask you a question we ask all of our guests. And that is when you go out and you do kill something out there, um, what is your favorite recipe and what kind of animal? Oh, wow. That would be super hard. Um, Cause I love it all. I absolutely love dehydrating, you know, food. I make my own jerky. We make our own salami, our own pepperoni, but I'm going to have to say back straps on the Traeger. I just, you just hardly can't beat that. And, and I would go with elk, even though I love deer antelope's really good too. That's a tough one. Have you tried but, any of the high mountain seasonings on that back strap on the yes. Traeger? <laughs> Yes. Nope. We've used high mountain seasoning quite a bit, and that's basically all we use for our pepperoni, Mm -hmm. summer sausage, et cetera, et cetera. We've used them for years, and we absolutely love them. Well, we we have a couple sponsors of the podcast, but, you know, most of the sponsors we have, actually all the sponsors we have are products Patrick and I believe in, use, and, you know, want to promote. So we want to give a shout-out to those guys that we really do, I mean— I bought some just the other day to make some some more jerky with. Yeah, and I was telling David I'm making more of my bacon, homemade bacon, and they have this bacon cure um, that they sell that's phenomenal. So I just put another batch in the fridge to cure last night, and I'm pretty excited about that because that's really good stuff. You know, one of our friends did that a couple years ago and used the same one, the High Mountain. And it was good, and we, we said we were going to do it, and we haven't tried it yet. So there's one more reminder. Yeah, you got to try it. It's It's amazing. It takes... It's super easy. It's just like all their seasonings. I mean, they go step by step and you weigh it out and you get what you need. And just basically you just sprinkle the cure on this side pork. You throw it in a plastic bowl in your, in your refrigerator for seven days and halfway through that seven day period, you flip it over Then you take it out, 
rinse it off real good, soak it for about 45 minutes in cold water and dry it, pat it dry and cut it up. And I mean, it's, wow. I mean, and I like to smoke mine too. So I'll cold smoke it for, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour with some apple wood. And that's pretty darn good. Ooh. Yeah. So, but yeah, we, we like to ask our guests, you know, what they would eat. Um, I know that backstrap does sound really good right now. I think we could go for some of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what advice would you give? There's, there's probably some folks out there listening that have been on the fence about going and doing one of these trips and, and getting involved. What, what kind of encouragement would you give them? Yeah. So, um, people have started calling this my actual ministry and I'm not going to say too much about God because we don't want to offend or drive anybody off, but most women are afraid to come unless they come with a group. And a lot of ladies are flying in from back East, Ohio, Vermont, uh, New Jersey, Florida, and they're coming alone and they're very nervous and some will cancel at the last minute. They just don't have a support group here. They think what they do. We've not had one single lady come that was uncomfortable, that didn't make lifelong friends, that didn't learn things and that didn't have a blast. I've just really had no complaints whatsoever. That first evening, you know, everybody's a little offish, but we have a campfire and we stand around and tell stories and and laugh and giggle and get to know each other and that's gone within a day and those are the women who are returning again and again so if they're nervous about that or if they're nervous that they're not skilled enough we don't care we don't care if you've never shot anything before we don't care if you've never hiked Uh, sometimes we feel guilty as hunters because we get to see and do things that nobody in the world ever gets to see and they could never imagine and our goal is to get as many women out there as we can to share that it's not just public lands aren't just for us sometimes we get greedy but uh they're for everyone and i think it's a quality of life that is being missed by so many so i encourage you to sign up if you have questions or insecurities just reach out to me with an email um, and i'll do everything i can to make it as pleasant as you can Um, there are also women that are coming that are either stuck in a rut you know, can't, you know, they were shooting and hunting good for years and now they're not. And they're afraid they'd be put in a lower level. Absolutely not. These instructors are quality enough. They can take you from whatever level you're at or that you used to be at and have fallen uh, to where you want to be. And they'll encourage you. Our support group is amazing. I would say 90% of the ladies are on social media every single day, uh, uplifting you, bring, you know, encouraging you, going on hunts together. Um, it's been life-changing for a lot of women. I mean, we heard that from Jess Johnson and her whole story. And if you haven't been back and listened to that podcast about how she got to go on a Northwest Territories doll sheep hunt, you need to you need to back up and go listen to that one. But I have have kind of a nutshell. I'd be remiss to say there's a quote from Emerson that says, that which you persist in doing becomes easier to do, not that the nature of the thing has changed, but your ability to do has increased. Perfectly said. Well, again, if you would just give us that uh, information on how to get in touch with you and how folks could go and check out what you're doing, um, that would be great if you could just cover that one more time. You betcha. It's super easy. It's just ladieshunting.com, and my phone number and email are all on there. Registration is right there. It's not a fancy website, but it's super easy. Just go on. You can ask questions. You can register, um, or if, like I said, nothing else, reach out with my phone number and email and it's ladieshunting.com. Awesome. Well, we're really glad that you came today and, and visited with us. Um, I, I hope that, I wish you the best. I mean, it sounds like you have an amazing, you. 
amazing opportunity for folks out there. And so uh, if anybody's listening and wants to go do that, please go check it out. Um, and, you know, look for ways locally to get your get your spouse, get your friends, whoever, your kids, get them out there and have them, you know, go with you and experience the outdoors. And once again, if you guys have any uh, feedback or any questions and you want to get a hold of David and I, you can get a hold of us on Facebook. We're at Radcast Outdoors and we just love having folks on like Candy. So Candy, again, thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for having me. I got one final question, Candy. Being that, uh, you know, draw results aren't quite out yet, but what states are you looking at to do archery elk hunting this year? Oh, my gosh. I would give anything to do New Mexico, but that's probably not going to happen. So, (laughs) Um, Randy has a real good chance at a great Utah tag. So, we'll probably do that. I mean, either just come back to Oregon for general season if I don't draw anything or Colorado for over the Awesome. Well, we look forward to seeing how you do and what you guys draw. Awesome. You too. Thanks, Candy. Bye. All right, thanks. And now it's time for the Radcast Outdoors Recipe of the Week. Made possible by High Mountain Seasonings, a Riverton business. Check out their latest seasonings at highmountainjerky.com. That's H-I-M-T-N-Jerky.com. H-I-M-T-N-Jerky.com. And use promo code HMS10. That's hms 10 for 10% off your next order, High Mountain Seasonings. If you've made it this far, congratulations. We're now to the recipe of the week. You've just finished another episode of Radcast, and I'd like to share with you another favorite recipe of mine, which is smoked salmon dip. It's pretty simple. takes a few ingredients. The hardest one is procuring the smoked salmon and smoking it to your specifications. I then take the smoked salmon, mix it with a package of cream cheese. I cut regular onions and wild onions, mix it all up, put a drop of liquid smoke in it. It is to die for. 